G'day Footyology listeners, Roko here. Enjoy our podcast? Well, you can become an official Footyology podcast supporter simply by using the supporter feature through ACAST. There's no subscription or regular commitment, just the sheer satisfaction that comes with knowing you've kept the debt collectors from our door. No, just kidding. It does help though. If you want to get started, you just need to follow the support this show link in the show description. Thanks again. And now let's get on with it. Good day, everyone. Welcome to Footyology TV, coming at you live from Southern FM in Brighton, this special Saturday night post-preliminary final edition. Very good evening to you, Finey. Good evening, Roko. We have grand finalists. We do, we do. And uh, I think it's fair to say we have two surprise grand finalists in Collingwood West Coast. Certainly, they would have been a surprise back in March. Yeah. Uh, unfortunately, or fortunately, depending uh, how your bread is buttered, since the AFL era, this is the most common finals matchup. Is that right? Yeah, Collingwood West Coast. Okay, so they've had seven, haven't they? Yeah, yeah. yeah I think we're heading into number eight. We've had a, a draw, of course, yep. after full time. Yep. So they've got a bit of a storied past, which is good. Yeah, yeah. Well, I think it's. I think it adds to the adds to the intrigue that will be part of the build-up. Well, it does when you can talk about a relatively, still relatively new club having a storied finals tradition yeah. with a. Traditional opponent. It's also the what is it? The sixth grand final in a row between a Victorian and non-Victorian team. Yeah, and unfortunately, the non-Victorian teams have, apart from the Sydney win, but even Sydney's last appearance was a disappointing loss. It's been a tough time for them. When you think, in fact, all the interstate teams, their last grand final has been forget, you know, forgettable. Yeah. When, when you think. Including Brisbane and Port, which is a bit unfair. Yeah. But they had terrible shockers. And then Sydney, Fremantle, West Coast, Adelaide. I think we're going to get a lot more out of West Coast this time, though. I think we will, too. It's actually the seventh now, I think about it. You've got to go back to 2011, Geelong, Collingwood, because Hawthorne, Sydney, 2012, etc., yep. etc. Et and of course, the Victorian sides have won the last five. But then prior to that, it was the non Victorian sides who did well. Yep. West Coast, three times. Um, Brisbane three times, etc., etc. So um, we talked about the... I don't want to sort of start the show sort of sounding like Scrooge, but I, I really thought both preliminary finals were set up for classics and we didn't get either of them as classics. Although, you know... I disagree. Okay, you reckon Collingwood Richards yeah, is I a do, classic? Yeah, I do. I, I know that people... The level of upset. I know that people look for a, a close finish as a mark of a great final. Yeah. But given Richmond's... Uh, hold over the competition for just a fortnight short of two years. Mm. The fact that Collingwood had a large lead that was being eroded right down to 21 points in the last quarter, I think was intriguing. And the subplots were amazing. The inability of Dustin Martin to fire, Mason Cox before yeah. our very eyes. Yeah. I think if it wasn't a classic final in terms of nail-biting edge-of-your-seat stuff, there's going to be a lot of memories for a long time come out of this game. Mason Cox in particular. Yeah. And a little bit later on, I'll talk about Alex Rance and maybe how one of the greats, all potentially an all-time great, may have um, damaged his position in that argument. Uh, what about today's uh, non-event in Perth? Not so good. Uh, you know, Melbourne, any team that goes to Perth when or any 
Adelaide or Perth particularly, mm -hmm. when the opposition is strong, are desperate to get a foothold in the game. The, the aim is always to get off to a good start, to quieten, dampen the crowd's enthusiasm, don't turn it into a picnic. Mm -hmm. And Melbourne just had to get a foothold in the game, a goal or two. And they couldn't get it for a half. It was, it was for them, in the end, almost, almost divinely intervened disaster. Well, we're going to go into both games in yeah. detail in the wraparound. Just before we do, a couple of stats that have emerged that uh, would give heart to Magpie fans, I think. One we just mentioned, the five previous grand yes. finals. Yeah. But here's an interesting one. This will be the fifth time since the revamping of the final eight in 2000 that we've had a qualifying final rematch on grand final day. Yes. And in all the previous four, the qualifying final result has been reversed. reversed. Uh, one step they won't like is that Kennedy and Darling have played together 12 times this season. Yeah. 12 and zip. That is a good stat. West Coast have won all 12 games. Uh, got another one for you. Twelve West Coast players in today's game, I think, played in the 2015 yes. Grand Final, which I think will hold them in really good stead. The other observation I'd make, uh, talking about both games, looking ahead to this week, which is also one for West Coast, I think, more, is that we've seen sort of the re-emergence of the key forward, I reckon, in the last couple of weeks. It has been... As a factor. Well, Collingwood played a very simple old-style game plan, mm. and that was kick it up high to the tall forward. Mm. Now, the conditions were perfect, and ever since I've followed football and historically going back before then, the big beam pole forward has enjoyed some success in perfect conditions. Mm. Wind, you know, a windy afternoon, a wet afternoon is problematic. Mm. But the perfect conditions we had on the weekend... Mason Cox's confidence grew and grew and grew. Well, I haven't um, got onto my Bureau of Meteor Meteorology contacts yet, but yeah. I, I did see, get a text from someone earlier saying uh, it's supposed to be wet next weekend. So, Well, both teams would be concerned <clears throat> about that. So, mm. you know, we've got a marking West Coast forward line, mm. and we also have a Mason Cox-driven Collingwood forward line. Just on the teams, as they will likely head out onto the MCG. Yeah. Any changes? Well, I reckon the one that the Pies in particular will be thinking about is more coming in. I, I oh, think it won't be more. You don't be think Ben so? Reid. You reckon Reid? Well, Ben Reid was an emergency this week. Yeah, okay. The coach was at pains to point out that Darcy Moore had not done the preparation. Yeah. I get a sense that Darcy Moore is not committed to the club for next All right, season. Or well, do you think there will be a change and Reid comes in? I reckon this is a question that will be looked at, and I honestly believe. Nathan Buckley will, and the selection committee will not be sure of their decision until Thursday. The pros. For team balance, it almost demands another tall backman, doesn't yeah, it? Yeah. You've only got Goldsack and Maine mm. to cover Kennedy. So Goldsack will go to Kennedy, yeah. and it'll be a big ask. Mm. Maine to Darling is a mismatch. Really, but he might have to do it. But Maine would be better going to Vardy. Okay, so who who goes out? I think it has to be Braden Sear, who is a wonderful he's hard. Stiff. Well, he is stiff, but he's a, he's a hard body and he's a wonderful addition to a powerful midfield. But 
they have to take from somewhere. Yeah, I'm pretty. Someone said to me they thought Maine would go out, but I'm pretty sure in the qualifying final, Maine went back onto McGovern after as oh, yeah, a defensive yeah. forward as McGovern after he started really well. And so. that person probably didn't see the preliminary final where Maine was a, a an important cog for the Magpies, right to the uh, free kick he got that was the lead up to Trelaw's max turning or you know reversing of yep. the trend goal stabilizing goal all right we've got to uh, get into it as always we're after your comments and your questions uh appropriate to what we're talking about so we're doing this chronologically so collingwood richmond questions first it's time now for the wraparound So we've almost got it down pat now at the end of the season. <laughs> that little flourish at the end reminds me of the five-minute warning on the old Channel 10 coverage, which at an inopportune... Remember that? Well, I remember the first... I think it was yeah, the first grand final I did, 2002, right when Jason Ackermanis kicked the clinching goal. All you heard was... And we're turning off technology. Yeah. All right, let's get into it. Yep. Uh, Pies and the Tigers, much-anticipated final... And uh, I did uh, dobbing myself in here, but uh, I was sitting in the MCG press box and I turned to Martin Blake, my former colleague, and I said, you know what, I haven't been game to tip it, but I just got this horrible feeling that Richmond might munch the pies. And he said, yeah, me too. And 15 minutes later, we turned around, looked at each other and said, hmm, got that one wrong. Hmm. They were fantastic, the pies, weren't they? And really set it up in that uh, first quarter, didn't they? With, you know, their pressure was terrific. They almost out Richmond, Richmond, really, I felt. Look, Richmond, the first score of the game was the most outstanding point you'll ever see. That coast-to-coast play by Richmond was simply brilliant. Grimes won the ball, ferociously quick hands, I think with Edwards and Coxon maybe involved. Yeah. A perfectly placed kick to Rewalt. Who missed. And it looked as though this team that everybody had granted the title of best team in the competition were ripe and ready to go despite only playing once in basically a month. And then the next 25 minutes of football may be told a more honest tale. Have you ever seen, not ever seen, but in the last two years, ever's ridiculous, Richmond so panicky with their possession. They were, especially Dustin Martin, getting the ball and firing it yeah. out sometimes losing the handle on the ball. Yeah. It, it was no surprise who slipped over when he was unchallenged. They had the ball on the outer wing. I know there was some new turf laid there. It might have been Conker or one of those half-back flankers had the ball. He slipped over as he kicked it, turned it over. Mm. There was a panic that was unrichmond like And yes, there was a lot of Collingwood pressure, but every Richmond mistake seemed to infect the next Richmond player who got it. Yeah, no, it's spot on. And what was sort of impressing me about Collingwood early was, as well as the pressure, I thought they really got their outside game going. Now, one of the reasons I jumped on the Collingwood bandwagon big time back in 2016, I tipped them top four, so did a lot of people. That was largely on the back of um, the sort of attacking flair they'd shown in the pre-season games. And it proved to, it just vanished. I don't know what happened to it. It wasn't there last year either. Gradually, they've got that back, and I felt like on on Friday night, they finally achieved the perfect balance of that hard-edged, inside, contested stuff, 
the pressure applied to Richmond when they had the ball, but they also beat Richmond on the outside. And I felt like proof of the pudding was coming early there. It was uh, at one stage 11 to 2 uncontested marks. So yep. they were playing the game as they wanted to play it. Their pressure in the forward half was terrific. I think it was five to one tackles in the forward half pretty early in the piece. And Richmond got that single goal from Rewalt. But after that, it was just uh, business as usual for the Pies. Chris Meyer checked to goey. And by quarter time, you're looking at, uh, what was it, a five goal lead quarter time? Thereabouts. One goal to five. One goal. 32 points, maybe 32 points. One to three seven. to five two. Yep. In fact, I should have given the final scores. How am I travelling? Uh, Collingwood, 15 7, 97 defeated. Richmond, 8 10, 58. So Richmond sort of fell down on two counts. They weren't preventing opposition scores, which have been yep. terrific at doing. Uh, number two defence in the league, I think. And, let's, and, and weren't generating any scores. And they had conceded more goals at quarter time in this game than they had in the first half of their four previous finals. Is that right? Yep. Yeah, no team kicked yeah, more yeah, than okay. five goals up till half time. So they were on the back foot because their modus operandi of denying the opposition scoring opportunities in the first half, which erodes confidence and means that they have really played their hand perfectly, was gone. You have to look at the Collingwood players that made that possible. And, you know, there's a, an oft-used term in football, Rowan, and that is that finals and grand finals make reputations in football. But I don't believe that's true. I reckon, save for Darren Jarman, many of the players that have performed well in finals and considered oddities, like a Shane Allen... Ted Hopkins. Yeah, I mean, they're not considered great footballers. They're... Glenn Freeborn. Yeah, I'm saying, well, they are really those sort of players. I, when you think of the greats of the game, mm. I don't think they're considered great because of finals football. Yeah, yeah. Save Darren Jarman, who I think had his reputation heavily enhanced. Yeah. Well, Travis Varco deserves to be recognised as a wonderful finals footballer. He, in the first quarter, just had the nous to slip the news, you know, in a tight game. Mm. There was not a lot of free ball for Collingwood either. Didn't he just skip out to a couple of beautiful leads? One On one occasion, he handballed crazily to Goldsack yeah. after kicking a goal from a set shot, but he knows where to go. He knows where to go. He's highly underrated. Well, he did it in the 2011 Grand Final, famously, early and then late. Kick what I still regard as the greatest goal of all time in, in the last quarter. We probably should talk about the rest of the game. The Pies just saddled up and did it again in the second quarter with another five goals. Uh, Richmond stuck on one goal until, I think, 11 seconds before half time. Um, they then proceeded to kick what the Tigers, uh, three, four, five out of seven... Uh, seven out of the next nine goals, of course. Higgins yep. gets it back to 21 points with 15 and a half minutes still to play. Did you think they could go on and win it? No, because Collingwood were only ever... And we've seen this almost exclusively in AFL. The big comeback is brave, but so often it's one goal that you know ends the, yep. ends, ends the adventure and... Even if they got within a goal or two, yeah. there was always going to be a, a response from Collingwood. Re Collingwood's response was definitive, and it was really indicative of how they had played all night. They uh, got the ball on the wing, they got it forward, and they were just bristling with confidence. And it was no surprise that Trelaw kicked that goal. Mm. But to me, the goal that sealed the game... Grundy. ...spoke a lot about the game. Look, for... 
two years, Damien Hardwick has rolled the dice, he forced hand with one ruckman and one non-ruckman. Yeah. And that flies in the face of the fact that Max Gorn and Brody Grundy considered the two most influential players in the game today. Mm. So Ruckman are now very much currency, except at Richmond. Well, long before Grundy kicked that goal, which was simply a Ruckman destroying his opponent, he had destroyed the game. You know, when you're three goals to one down and things aren't going your way, you don't want to see Grundy going up against Grigg. It was three goals to one. Grigg was in the centre. Grundy smashed it 15 metres mm. and then got the possession that got the ball forward. It's, fifth, it's not suitable. 56 hit-outs, 21 disposals, five clearances, two centre-bounce clearances, four tackles, a goal. Uh, he, he, was, he was magic. And I, I thought it's one of the few finals where I thought the best three players on the ground were absolute Monty's. Well, side-bottom. Side-bottom Cox and Grundy. Had yeah. to be, in yeah. my view. And you don't talk about the other two because you'll no, no. steal my thunder. Um, now no, we're going to no, get to some questions. Yeah. Oh, sorry, questions, absolutely. But just on steel side bottom. Yeah. I'm glad that he is now considered, not because he's, he's a good bloke, but because of his body of work, he's now considered a champ. Yeah, absolutely, as he should be. And he's a, he's a 10-year player. Um, okay, let's take some questions and comments. Sam Loriola says, what was a bigger factor in Richmond's loss, injury clouds, or the week off? Collingwood seemed ready for us. Now, I stupidly threw my hat into the ring on this one again today on Twitter, and it's an ongoing debate. And again, out of this year, it's sort of the results are divided. But I looked at the way Richmond started, and I thought, this is a side that hasn't played enough footy. Well, as I said, except for that one piece of play, they just looked as they looked as rusty as the bike left so, out from Christmas. So a lot of the people that were howling me down on this, so yeah, I'm, I'm not saying it's definitive. It is highly debatable, but I would challenge anyone to look at how sort of tardy Richmond were at the start and, and say definitively the break definitely wasn't affected. They played one game in 27 days. Now, there are various reasons people talk about it not being affected. They say, well, the old Final Five used to be the same. But the old Final Five was 30 and more years ago, and the standards yeah. of preparation and the intensity of the game wasn't as exacting as it is now. I think preparation is so finely tuned that these things can make a bigger difference than they used to. Um, people say it's more a reflection of the evenness of the competition. That could be the case as well. But if it is, shouldn't uh, that be an argument for giving the top four teams as big an advantage as possible? So there is some sort of natural difference between finishing higher in the eight or not. Um, what was the other one I wrote down here? Oh, the, the thing that annoys me most is that the pre-finals buy was just a complete overreaction to a few sides resting players for meaningless final round games. And I just think it's raised a question that needn't have been asked. Okay. The fact that now there is some evidence to say that losing that continued... Uh, not having the continued weekly football, losing that consistency. Momentum. Not just momentum, it doesn't have to be forward momentum, but continuity of, of habit is, start, is possibly detrimental. That will stop teams from resting players, by the way. Mm. You know, having that yeah, mass, yeah, mass yeah. rest. So yeah. that may well have been cured. Trying to compare it to the old Final Five, as you rightly point out, Rowan, that's a different era of football when it was player on player, position on position, and a week off 
or a couple of weeks off were great for the you know battle weary full forward or the bashed up centre half forward because it was one on one, and but the team has to work as a cohesive unit, and I, I point to a couple of factors. Dugowie absolutely turned and bodied and out touched Rance yep. early in the game for a decisive four goals. Now, that looked to me like a player who was in touch and a player yep. who was out of touch. Yep. And also, I don't think Mason Cox could have done what he did had he played for Richmond and only played once in the last four weeks. All right, last comment on this. Just consider those stats. Between 2007 and 2015, 17 out of 18 qualifying final winners went on to win their preliminary finals. 17 out of 18. Yep. Since the introduction of the pre-finals by, it's three out of six. Now, that is, I, I know it's not a huge sample size, but we at least have to be asking this question. So to all the people who say, don't be stupid, it's too small a sample size, well, how big a sample size is enough? Do we wait for 10 years and then go, gee, you know, maybe, maybe it did really alter some results and compromise the integrity of the final series? But what point are you trying to make? Because isn't 17 out of 18 too skewed in favour of the top four teams. We've got a top eight. No, not for me, because I think you should get every possible advantage by finishing top four. That's why you well, play for six months and 22 eight. rounds. Because there's still some chance of pulling an upset. I, I think the... Otherwise, the more you make it a raffle, the more you diminish the importance of the 22 rounds and six months that go before. It is a small sample size, but if we go on those percentages, 50%, you're right, <clears> is is just clearly unfair to the top four teams because we're working on a 50% strike rate, three out of six. Yeah. But 98%, which is roughly 97, where 17 out of 18 is too imbalanced as well. Unfortunately, there's no middle ground. See, I'm okay with that. I reckon if you want to be one of the 17, finish top four. We've got to move on. Tony TC, good supporter of this show. Good to have you on board again, Tony. Will Collingwood benefit more from a tougher match second half than West Coast? Again, that is one of those perennials. And we've heard a million theories on this. There was a period there, wasn't there, where we were having one preliminary final smashing and one close game. And opinions waxed and wane. Hawthorne had four nail-biting preliminary finals in a row, didn't they? 12, 13, 14, 15. All decided by less than a kick. Oh, no, 15 wasn't, sorry. But three decided by less than a kick in a row. They went on and lost the first grand final, won the second two. Their opponents, I don't know. Um, what do you think? No, I, think, <laughs> I, I really think all bets are off once we get to the grand final. The week itself, the pressures, everything. We wash away what's happened previously. Buys, tough games, easy games. Both these teams head into a week of the headspace that is preparing for the grand final with each player knowing that you know, the microscope is on him and each player also knowing that history and, you know, 10 or 15 wonderful reunions are within touching distance. And I think what happened previously doesn't matter. It is all, that is all, you know, crystal ball gazing and, and horoscopes for mine. Okay, uh, last one on this game. Collingwood's 44-point <laughs> half-time yes. margin made me worry about 1970 again. That's also from Tony. I saw that one going around yeah, a bit on uh, Friday night. Yeah. Jeez, they don't forget easily, do they? It's nearly 50 years ago, but uh, the pies have been torched in finals so frequently. I can sort of understand that. All right, let's move on to today's game at Optus Stadium in Perth. 
and uh, was much of a contest. Contest really was over. Well, it was absolutely over at half time. Let's be honest. Eventually, West Coast, big big winners, sixty six point winners, eighteen thirteen one hundred and twenty one defeated Melbourne, seven thirteen fifty five half time scores, ten goals nine to six behinds, the lowest halftime score in any final since 1927. Said it all, really? It did. There were things in the first half that were just, you know it's not your day if, and there must have been five of them happen. If your wisest head and most experienced finals player is completely, is completely, uh, he's having... Name him. Jordan Lewis is having, fa- having brain fade after brain fade. You know the one that he got away with? Which one? He marked a ball that was kicked on the full and he threw it into the fence. Now, miraculously, it bounced straight back to the West Coast player. Oh, yeah. That should have been 50. That would yeah. have been 50 if it bounced anywhere else. But you're speaking about things going wrong. Um, they had the fumbles big time. It looked like one of those classic, here's a really inexperienced team. Um, suffering from finals nerves against a super experience. And it wasn't necessarily right in that regard, but that's how it came across. And Very similar to another final of recent years. Uh, West Coast North. Richmond, Port Adelaide. Oh, yeah, yeah. There's nothing, just they look terrible. The level of clangor was, um, was unbelievable. Yeah. So Lewis's loopy handball gives away the first goal to Kennedy. Second goal to Cripps came after uh, Angus Brayshaw fumbled near the centre square, uncharacteristically for him. Turnover, goal to Cripps. Third goal to Darling came after a poor handball from Spargo to Tyson, who may have still got it had he not slipped over. Ball turned over, goal to Darling. I looked at that and I thought, oh boy, this could be ugly. And then Cripps, a fourth goal uh, to Nutter at quarter time, and the writing was on the wall. Every kick, Melbourne kicked forward was either a floater that McGovern swallowed or was a pinpoint pass to Shannon Hearn. Mm. It was terrible kicking into the forward line. Yeah. Max Gorn, who later in the game got a bit bit of, you know, where he should be in the game, a bit of domination, was invisible in the first quarter. Let, let's, um, we'll, we'll talk about Melbourne. Let's talk about the Eagles because yeah. they, they yeah. deserve plenty of credit and a few things that were pivotal... Um, I thought uh, Hutchings on Viney, it really sort of dampened, uh, put the shutters up on Viney, really. It wasn't that big an influence at all. Darling and Kennedy both did what they had to do. Kennedy, fan, I thought Kennedy fantastic. Four goals in the first yeah, half. Yeah, there's two beautiful, oh God, he's a good kicker goal. Those mm. two set shots in the second quarter. Yeah. That is what you want in a final. Um Hearn on Melksham thought really uh, great yeah. defensive uh, d- defensive job. You know McGovern copped a knock early, but he didn't have to be pivotal to it. Barras just gets the job done yep. efficiently. Um, I thought Ryan and Rioli were really important too. Very now very we talk time. about uh, West Coast midfield's ability to match Collingwood's, and you look at it and superficially it doesn't have the depth, and it might not have as much class either, but. I reckon Rioli and Ryan, and it, it's we watched it on TV. It's harder to tell watching on TV, but Rioli and Ryan, to me today particularly, both really seem to be pushing up a long way right into the midfield yeah. and becoming de facto midfielders. Now you throw throw those two into the midfield group along with, say, a Lewis Jetta. 
I, see, this is what the midfield is going to be so pivotal to the grand final result because I, I believe that if West Coast breaks even in the midfield, they will win the game. Oh, the, I, I think they need to lose at 40-60 to win the game because that forward line... Is, you think they can lose 40-60? Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Hutchins is an interesting player. If you have a look at how he plays, he goes to a, a, a key opponent. Yeah. And so you call him a, a tagger or yeah. a run-with player. I'm not quite sure that's what he does. I think he's given a player to take him to the ball because mm. he gets 20-odd possessions a game. Yeah. He's pump, you know, he's strong. He pumps the legs. He breaks the lines. He's not a great kick, so he sends a bit of chaos ball into the forward line. Yeah. But he actually, in being given an opponent that's a ball winner, is taken to the ball and wins a lot of it himself. Um, and the other th- thing, credit we've got to give the Eagles here is they ended up. In fact, I didn't have. I do have the final stats there. But at three quarter time, they were up seventeen contested possessions on Melbourne. Melbourne has been so yep. far and away the number one contested possession team all year, and the Eagles smashed them in it. Um, you know, it was just a consummate performance by them. And as disappointing as Melbourne was, they were made to be disappointing by the Eagles. I thought it was a great, great performance from West Coast. You know, they, they had lost the. Battle of the coaches box. The chess pieces were moved very early in the game to a checkmate. To see Tom McDonald back in the back line, mm. the fact is they dropped Fritch for Smith because of height issues. Yeah. So they've really hit the panic button. They've got the both McDonalds and Frost, and you know Frost was sorely outclassed, and all of a sudden Melbourne have very few options to kick to. Young Wiedemann is carrying the can. Yeah. And they are almost just holding back, holding back the the tidal wave. I'm I'm uh, I've got the full time uh, stats here, but I'm I'm almost sort of disregarding them because the whole second half was junk time Correct. basically. It really was. So half time. Now we we gave Jordan Lewis a bit of a whack, but gee, Nathan Jones had an ordinary game. Five disposals to him at half time. Hibbert. Um, he had a few more. Uh, Vandenberg only had five to half time. Um, who's the other one I've got there? Wiedemann, well, key player, but he only had three. Hannon had three. Melksham had had two. Just had too many players who couldn't get a touch of the footy. Yeah. yeah there was a few things that were symptomatic of how they played. Now, having having said that, this is like the last chance we've got to talk about the Demons. I'm very much of the view, and I think most Melbourne supporters are too, yeah, look, it was a stinker today. It happens. But overall, you would take this season. I think they've shown greater maturity um, I think, don't forget about who comes back next year, Jake Lever and Jesse Hogan. They're two pretty handy keys at either end of the ground. And I think the finals experience will be invaluable for them. So, um, yeah, disappointing today, but I reckon a lot of pluses out of this year for the Diamonds. Any talk that you know we can do without Hogan was put to bed this afternoon. Hogan! Uh, Larry Hill, every grand final since 2012 has been interstate v Melbourne clubs. Bar Freo, the interstate, has been favourite and lost. MCG, big advantage for Pies. Uh, I'm less inclined to agree with you on that one, Larry, because of West Coast win over Collingwood there in round 17. They've won two out of two. Yeah, the first one was against Carlton. But they that round 17 game really impressed me. Now, that was the day they lost Natanui. They adjusted. Lysette held up his end of the bargain. And that was the other thing today. Lysette and Vardy, great tag team effort on Gordon. So and, and I don't underestimate either the influence of Sam Mitchell in teaching them how to use the width of that ground. That was the other thing that really struck me about that round seventeen game. 
So, yeah, you can argue Collingwood got close to uh, the Eagles a few weeks ago in Perth. But I just think the, I think the Eagles on the MCG are a different proposition now. Well, no surprise that West Coast, who'd been criticised as an MCG team till this year, mm. uh, had they have two out of two. But as you say, the Collingwood game no telling, because their new Optus Stadium, the new stadium built, the pockets are a bit more narrow than the G, but at least it widens out yep. to a G-like <clears throat> width. Yeah, this is where they play and prepare for their football. They. It's not their training ground, but they've got one identical, I believe, mm. is my understanding. And no longer are they playing down the long corridor of Subiaco. So I don't think they're in any way unprepared for the MCG. Uh, Darian Allen asks, do the Eagles have too much firepower? Um, well, they don't necessarily have too much firepower. But like I said before, I think if they can come close to breaking even midfield, they will generate enough forward opportunities to really worry the pies. So potentially, yes, they do have too much firepower. I just can't see Collingwood going into the game without Ben Reid because Cox can't really go down. He's not a defender. Mm. So you've got the only options down back, Goldsack, hardly a big bond, you know, playing brave football. Well, I think even with Reid there, Goldsack's going to be forced to play on a taller opponent. Correct. They need Reid to play on, on Darling. Otherwise, Maine has to play on him. Surely they don't expect how to play on Darling. Langdon has played on taller opponents, but yeah, you're, you're taking a big, big risk. Sam again says, have to tag McGovern. Well, like we said, Chris Maine sort of did that job after the first quarter in the qualifying final and did pretty well. But they've got a lot to think about structurally, haven't they? You know, by the same token, they had a lot to think about structurally against the Tigers and managed to cross those bridges and come away with a great win. But the back line, um, inch for inch, or centimetre for centimetre, was far better suited against the Tigers. When you think the gold second rewalt are almost a uh, height and weight match for each other. Mm. And then the remaining defenders, Langdon, Howe, Aish, and um, Crisp when he plays off the back line, who's, and Maynard, mm. are mid-size defenders perfectly suited for the smaller contingent of, of Richmond forwards where you've got Maynard for a caddy, big body, big body. It matched up well. Yeah. Uh, one from Timothy Daniel Carrier. Is Jamie Cripps having one of the most underrated seasons of all time, become a genuine A-grade small forward this year? He's good value. Outstanding. He starts all the centre bounces off the half-back flank. Yeah. Um, comes through with pace and can be an outlet as a bit of a um, roll of the dice off the back flank, yeah. and then takes up a position forward where he's always been very fast, so a very good tackle and forward line pressure player. And now, you know, that goal he kicked in the first quarter, yeah. after a bit of bo a bit of wastage by the Eagles, really got them back on track, didn't it? Yeah. Can I just say this? I was just going to pinch your line there. Actually, before I do, Mark yeah. says, Mark Chapman says, if it's wet on Saturday, will that lessen the impact Kennedy and Darling will have on the game? Not necessarily, but I was going to make this point anyway. And, and Cox, by the ah, way. Ah, yes. Yeah, good point. But I was going to make this point, that even if it's wet, such as the pressure of a grand final, you're still going to have to more often than not go the big bailout kick or the kick under pressure to a contest. And... Um, the previous comment about Cripps, I can see it's easy to get too clever about grand finals about who will play a pivotal role. 
But rather than think Kennedy's going to kick five and Darwin kicks three and they win it for him, I'm more inclined to think they might kick, you know, say two or three. But the chances they will create at ground level for the likes of Cripps, Lacroix, Ryan and Rioli, I can see that being really pivotal and I can see a guy like Cripps being a really important player on grand final day. Yeah, wet weather would not suit Ryan. He's an aerialist. I mean, yeah, he's even, not bad on ground level. Yeah, either. I, I, I think his dangers in the air. I don't. I think Collingwood's defenders can handle him body size wise, and H is pretty quick at the drop of the ball. A wet afternoon would suit Collingwood more. Yeah, I think. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I, I think I think Langdon would be. Um, you know, he's well suited to that sort of defending. And I know that Dugowie would be suited to that sort of forward play. Yeah, instinctively, I'd think it would probably help Collingwood a bit more. So uh, I can remember one of those Collingwood grand finals under Tommy Hafey. He said, I don't care if it rains till Melbourne Cup Day. So I don't think it's quite at that level, but you might be right. Any more Mr Music out of that game? Nah, don't worry about it. You didn't answer quick enough. All right, we're going to move on. Brevity's not a strength of either of us. You know that. Time now for our next segment. And, of course, it is Hot or Not. There you go. Thought I'd do a standing one today. I've gone for the bands, vodka. Uh, okay. Uh, didn't you see the dressing room rider? What happened to our sandwiches? Remember that scene out of Spinal oh, Tap? You love Spinal Tap. I do love Spinal Tap. It's one of my favourite movies of all time. Hit me with a hot. All right. I'm going to hit you with a hot. And uh, he was born in the USA. And uh, it's one of the... I'm not gonna, uh, Yeah, we'll will at the line again. I've already heard it three times today. Biggest cheer for a Yank on the MCG since Billy Graham's, Billy Graham's evangelical tour of Australia in 1972. It was pretty amazing. It was pretty surreal being part of a 94,000 crowd here in USC. God, he was good, Mason Cox. 15 possessions, 11 marks, eight of them contested. Uh, won a few hitouts when he relieved Grundy in the ruck. Three goals won, critical goals at a critical time in the game. You know, and yeah, okay, I barrack for him. But in that second quarter, you know who he reminded me of? Paul Salmon, circa 1984, yeah. when every time you saw the ball heading in his direction, you just expected him to mark it. Yeah. It was yeah. a fantastic for them. As I said, you know, when the conditions are right, the tallest man on the ground, football's a simple game sometimes. If he's marking it, just kick it up to him. Yeah. Just kick it up to him. What I really liked was his understanding now of a double movement so he would maybe lead to the pocket but then like a bit of a, a turning circle of the old queen mary but slowly wind back into a more central dangerous position i think his timing is leaps better like in the qualifying final even you could see him sort of stopping and propping a bit and that's got a bit to do with the delivery too and it's got a bit to do with the creation of space but he just seemed to have his timing all right on friday night so there's a bit of room for him Got the necessary run at it, perfectly timed jump and catch. And, and the key was before, and Wayne Carey was very big on this <clears throat> in the coverage of the game, before he kicked those three goals in the second quarter, he was vitally important in the first quarter as the outlet mark from the backline kick for Collingwood. Richmond's boa constrictor strangulation of teams is around the half-forward flank. That, that kick from the back pocket, is punched to the boundary and teams can never move from there. Mm. But they were kicking it up to just outside 50 and Cox on a couple of occasions took key marks 
to keep the ball moving forward. So he got his rhythm and mojo more in the defensive half than up forward. There's still a degree of cynicism about him. I've heard more than once uh, since Friday night people saying, oh, well, he won't play like that again. What chance he could do that again on grand final day? The conditions will be telling. Yeah. But absolutely, he's he's still going to be 211 centimetres. Yeah. And he's been a good mark most of the year. What grew was the confidence that came with the contested marks. His kicking has been off recently, but that came back. So he was able to kick those telling goals in the second quarter. And you know what? They work well off him even if he doesn't mark it. Yeah. All right, your turn. I go not from the same game. It's a tough call, but Alex Rance was sorely outpointed by Jordan Degoe while the game was hot. He had to be replaced by Richmond's best player. I reckon Grimes was Richmond's best, by the way. Or Not Rewalt? Five no, goals? No, no, I thought Grimes was. Okay. I thought, you know, for the entire game, Grimes, he was, he was brilliant as a defender. Mm. He had to go there and solve Rance's problem. Now, it's harsh, but you see, Rance is part of a very interesting discussion, and that is who's the greatest fullback of all time. Now... Up till 1999, I guess the argument was sort of settled for us by Silvani being picked as fullback of the team of the century. Yeah. Some had Dench or Jack Regan, yeah. etc. But let's just say we agree, and most people do, that Silvani has it till then. Yeah. Enter Matthew Scarlett. Yeah. Enter Alex Rance. Yeah. And it's an interesting discussion, often decided on parochial lines. But you know what? That is going to, just with that discussion about the greatest ever... He's still a brilliant fullback. But when talking the greatest ever, I think he took a big hit on Friday night. Why? Because one ordinary game because is the that great, damaging to his the great, Well, you know, Richmond were hot favourites to win the game and yeah. go on and win the flag. Yeah. And when you go back and analyse the game, two of their champions, Martin and Rance, mm. were central to the loss. Well, I'm, I'll throw it at it, you. It's harsh, but, yeah. but well, he's would you, part of it. W- would you take Scarlett or Rance? Who's left the bigger imprint? I really get the scales tipped to Scarlet after Friday night. It's, I, un, it's hard, but I'd have Scarlet anyway. I'm saying so, Scarlet <clears throat> for mine was very was probably the one anyhow. The, look, this year Rance has come under the spotlight for reputation ahead of performance. Yeah, and I now think people will look at his season, having been alerted to that after the All Australian. Selection because that became a talking point. His yeah. selection, they've looked at him during the finals, and probably seen a lesser. Grimes was clearly their better, best big defender. I just think Scarlett created a new way of being a key defender and being a big possession winner and zoning off at the right time. And um, I just, yeah, I mean, no disrespect to Rance, but I, I thought Rance was a liability in that first half. Yeah, look that one where he got bodied in the goal square. Yeah, and to go, we got the cheapy. Sorry, that that's not that's bad. Mm. You know, for, he, he does. I mean, for as as good as he is, he can have a bit of a shocker, can he? A very, very rarely, but yeah, he can. So, and this brings it more into focus. Yeah, yeah, it's, yeah. it's unfair. He's a, it's a ripper. No, I agree but, with that. Sorry. All right, uh, I'm going with the knot now. And sorry, Tigers, uh, you're taking a bit of a whack tonight. But not for me is I guess you could say Richmond's forward structure and it's pretty unfair because it's worked brilliantly for the best part of two years but if ever a game really underlined the need for a second key forward 
it was this one, I felt. And uh, fortunately, it looks like they've got one, and his name is Tom Winch, and he's a pretty handy player. So it might be um, problem becomes more pointed and problem is immediately solved. But really, I mean, Jack Rewalt, it was jack or bust, really, wasn't it, for them in terms of being able to clunk the ball and become a, a focal target. Didn't feel like the small forwards did nearly enough. Um, Caddy was... Yeah, and Well, that was the third leg of the trifecta, really. Caddy, as the de facto second key forward, was pretty ineffectual. So when you've only got one genuine key forward, when you're medium-sizer, that doesn't work. And when you're small forwards, yeah, they're applying pressure, but you've got to win enough of the ball too. I think Castagna was almost statless at half-time. You've got to have more alternatives at your disposal than that. So I think a second key forward definitely gives them that. And look, in fairness to Richmond, it's not like they said, we definitely don't want to play with a second key forward. They always planned to play one last year. You know, Ben Griffiths ended up sort of retiring prematurely. It's not like they have shunned that way of playing. Yeah, it was forced upon them. Yeah, but I think that um, this shows that they still can make structural improvements to the lineup, and a second key forward is definitely one of them. And if his name is Tom Lynch, they'll be pretty well set. How about a ruck, you know, a second ruckman or, or a taller ruck setup? Well, that's that's an issue as well. And to that end, Matt Williams asked, did Hardwick back in their system to their detriment? Um, yeah, probably. No plan B. If plan B was moving Asprey to the forward line, they had no plan B. But you know what? And I've made this point a couple of times since Friday night. They're sort of victims of their own success because the more successful you are... We talked about the way Richmond wins finals. Each of those finals they've won, they've done it in a very... You know, it's almost been a carbon copy. Correct. Right? Yeah. Just sort of tighten the screws for a half. The opponent's still within striking distance, but then go bang. So if it doesn't work, you have to have some alternative mode. But the longer you are successful at applying that trade, even if um, there's a, a time when it doesn't work, you're just not... I'm sorry. Even if there's a time... Even if you do have that plan B, it, the longer you are successful and don't require the plan B, the harder it becomes to implement. You know, I looked at Richmond's premiership last year and heading into this season, and yeah, they have... Uh, they had a small forward line and a um, move the ball forward at all costs mentality. And you could describe their football many different ways. But I also had another way of looking at it. Yes, I appreciated various tactical um, analyses that were attributed to Richmond. But the other version of how Richmond won game was won games were 21 players try and break even. Dustin Martin will win the game. Mm. Now, Dustin Martin was was gone. That He didn't... There was no don't argues. There was no yeah. pack breaking. Whenever he got the ball, he just got rid of it like he was okay, playing, well, well, like it was a hand grenade. Answer this one. A few people, um, you know, I've done a bit of radio today. A few people asking, did I make a mistake playing him? My, no, no, yeah, no, no, no play him. you've got to play him. Because I think if there's one guy who's going to play injured, it's probably him because you can throw him forward and on one leg maybe he conjures a couple of goals. But well, he was better he than a couple of the players that didn't touch it. Yeah, he signed up with... I think he was still their fourth or fifth highest disposal yeah, winner. But he was... But he was a shadow of the dusty winner. He was hot, he was hot potatoing it. Yeah, yeah, he was. was. Yeah, no, he was clearly, clearly not right. All right, your turn. I'll go for a hot, and that is... Well, they say, come finals time, always backing Josh Kennedy. But it's normally the Swans' Josh Kennedy. This time, you can back in the other Josh Kennedy. Look, his season never really got going. Early on in the year, he, he had a late start. 
And then he came into the team and Darling was on fire. Yeah. And he became sort of Darling's most ebullient fan. Whenever Darling was marking the ball, remember he was running up and <laughs> cheering. And, you know, he was keeping out of his way. Yeah. He started finding a little bit of form, not a lot. And then these fine, this fine broken leg fracture. Yeah. That kept him out. Then he came back too soon, kept him out again. So it was a bit of a race against time for Josh Kennedy. He's a great player, Kennedy. Well, there was, there was a really good analogy uh, during the call today, and I just can't for life me remember who made it, but they were saying that in the qualifying final, he was like a, an opening batsman who's out of touch and scratching around correct, for runs, but correct. they just gradually play themselves back into form, yeah. and by the end of it, he was hit, starting to hit a couple of boundaries. Well, today was the extension of that. But a week off, Melbourne come in of a, a worthy opponent, and I didn't know whether Kennedy would be... <clears throat> Any good today? Mm. He was great. Yeah. He was his old self. Yeah. He doesn't just mark the ball. He marks at a pace. He also tackles. He's a beautiful kick, as we've already mentioned. And watch out, Collingwood. He's right. All right. Uh, my last one is a hot. And again, from that game. And we have talked about him before. I don't know if we've had him as a hot. Uh, doesn't matter if we have. Jack Redden. Now, yeah. I reckon... How many people in the footy world wouldn't have thought probably at the end of last year, this guy, not much future there really. He just seemed to be one of those guys. He'd started to struggle towards the end of his time at Brisbane. He's gone to the Eagles. And like Jeddah, Jeddah's a bit similar in a way, I feel. Hasn't fired and you just sort of almost forget about them and you become used to them being pedestrian, sort of mediocre parts of that side not necessarily in the side every week, and thinking, yeah, well, there's a guy who showed a bit early, but probably a reasonably ordinary player. Well, he has been absolutely pivotal to their performance this year, and he was fantastic again today. Yep. 31 disposals, eight tackles. When you're looking at reasons why this version of West Coast is a lot better than the one of three years ago, now I mentioned Ryan and Rioli, but uh, Hutchings is another one. But this guy is number one on the list. He is a quality A-grade midfielder. You know what? Threw that to you at the wrong no, time. No, that's okay. I? That's right. <laughs> you know what? Brisbane are blued about losing players in that sort of... The five who went home. Well, you know, in that, in that short period with Pollock, Yo, Doherty, really yep. quality players. Patrick Carnesis. Well, not and, as uh, serious. And Billy, Billy Longer. <laughs> not as serious. But... Lost some quality. They didn't lose Redden. They showed Redden the door. Sort of said, limited opportunities <clears> because of our bolstered midfield. And do you know who they thought the player that tipped it over the edge was? Coming into the midfield? Yeah. Um, no. The now delisted Tom Bell. They sort oh, of, yeah. you know, well, yeah. Tom Bell's, Brisbane pulled the wrong rein. Yeah. And West Coast, you never know until, I guess, a player has his full life as a league footballer, whether they're, whether they're you know, really strong characters. He has withstood being almost told your time's up by the worst team. In, you know, they were wooden spooners at the time, Brisbane. Yep. That's almost, you know, I remember, who was it that went to St Kilda? Ber- no, no, Bernie Harris. Remember Bernie Harris? Did he end up at yeah. St Kilda? He went to St Kilda from Gold Coast and, yeah. and somebody made the observation. I didn't know anybody recruit- from Brisbane. And the observation was made, I don't, didn't know anybody recruited players from Brisbane. Yeah. So, you know, when you leave, that's the Bears. When you leave the Lions like that, yeah. 
you have to have a very strong personal drive mm. to be where he is today. Oh, he's been great. And you know, if they're going to win next week, he will have to play a good game. But you certainly would give him every chance of doing so. Another go-homer was sort of go-homer, Jack Crisp. Yes, correct. Good player. He's been great for the past. Yep. I noticed you laughing uh, at something there before, Mr yes. Music. Do you want to share that with us? Okay, uh, Mark says, is Elliot Yo or Brown Yo, I mean Brownlow Chance? You pissed yourself at that, did you? <laughs> Mr. Music's easily amused. Uh, Yo's form has been up and down like a yo-yo. It's been up and up. Jeez, we're big on the dad jokes tonight, aren't we? Yeah, no, he's, um, let's get on with it. Which, which uh, yo-yo trick is Elliot Yo? Uh, I'm trying to remember, around the world. Yeah. Rock the cradle. Uh, yeah, what's the one? Walk the dog. Walk the dog's the one where it just spins. Yeah, yeah. Uh, rock the, you know, rocking the cradle. I don't know, this is around a, the world. This is a very tortured analogy, but go on. Well, there's one where it goes up and back, and I'm not quite sure what that one was called. Very hard to do. Uh, if anyone knows the name of that yo-yo but that's, trick, that's him, just onwards and upwards. Which would be pretty depressing, really, because it would mean our ex our audience uh, consists exclusively of people over the age of fifty. Um, or I finishes off. Uh, hot, Adam Simpson. Oh, yeah. I don't think I need to really expand too much on how hard it is for a non-West Australian who had a team that really struggled, as they did in 2017. I don't know about Elliot Yo being a yo-yo, but West Coast are a yo-yo team, in and out, in and out. Well, uh, well, up and, I, I, up and down. Well, I was just about to say this is his fifth season as coach. He's four, taken four. to finals four in a row. Yeah, um, but last year was a disappointment by comparison. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm just saying that it's hard being a Victorian coach over there. Yeah, he was under some pressure. Yeah, he is deputised by another Victorian who's going home at the end of the year, Sam Mitchell. Yeah, these are not things that West Australians really warm to. I don't think. No, but they've made the best of it with. Nat and Nui going down and then losing Gaff. Yeah. I think it'd be pretty easy for a team like West Coast, who aren't... Tra tradition says that, you know, when things are good, they're great. And when the wheels start to wobble, they come off completely. Oh, here we go. Now we're going to get a whole catalogue of people saying, you Victorians accusing us of being soft. Not soft, but they are, you know, they are a team, almost like Adelaide. It's sort of symptomatic of being the biggest team in town where the spotlight is on negative things can be so intense yeah. that it spreads to the team psyche. Yeah, yeah. They and they've withstood two big hits. Yeah. Credit, yeah, no, credit he, the coach. He's been great. And he's, he's a guy I've known, Simo, for a fair while and reasonably well. He, he's, he's got an implacable sort of temperament, and it's yeah. held him in. And I remember there was a time, like they didn't make finals in that first season, people were saying, well, he's always the same. He doesn't get wound up. He doesn't... Well, that has been a major asset to him, I think. I mean, the other coach in the grand final is a heck of a story as well. He is. Uh, Matt Williams says, Coach of the Year. Whoever wins Simo. it. Yeah, I think that's probably a fair, fair call. Fair call. Yeah, fair call. Yep. Um, hey, just while you're there too, uh, I was going to throw one to you, and I'm, I've now forgotten it. I'm desperately trying to think of it again. It's not coming. It's not coming. Uh, Tony TC is coming, though. Hot, not hot. Razor raised 50 metre penalties to the bloody protected zone. Yeah, there was one against... Um, well, there was a Melbourne one just in the second quarter they should have kicked a goal from. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, well. 
No, but it's not coming to me. It'll come to me at the most. How about the bizarre nature of that Lacroix goal? You know you're having a good day. When oh, that when it accidentally sort of touched yeah. his leg. And can I just say something? Of course you can. There was a bit of a comment that the ball was going through from an attempted Darling goal. Mm. Why Tom McDonald would keep it in play? Yeah. Because when you are at that point in the ball where you've sort of run beyond it, the only way, it's like a ball crossing a line for a soccer goal. Mm. The only way to keep it from crossing the line is to knock it backwards. Yeah. To go forwards, it would have gone through already. You yeah. know, he was in a position where he was like a goalkeeper having to keep it from going over the line. Absolutely. Richard Whitbrook says, OK, the Files games have been disappointing the last two years with maybe one or two games being good. Why do you reckon? Um... Off the top of my head, I'd like to do a bit of number crunching on this, but I, I just think it, it's a reflection of the way the game's going. Now, we've talked for a long time about finals being a, a tighter, tougher, more contested brand of football. Um, even in eras where we've had higher scores and more attacking football throughout the course of a season. So it stands to reason that if the game generally becomes more finals-like, then the finals go up another notch again. So I think, unfortunately, I think that is. I think they've been sort of a reflection of the predominant uh, flavour of the month in terms of how teams play footy, and that's why, that's why I was I was really happy to see Collingwood win with a bit of yeah hard stuff, but a bit of dash and dare on Friday night, and I was happy to see the Eagles win today with a a kicking game, which is sort of substantially different at least from the prevailing fashion at the moment? Well, I think there's a, a simple cure to lopsided, uninteresting <clears throat> finals. What? A, a billion-dollar desalinisation plant. I think it's just, you know, a point in time where games are ending up like they are, like the point in time where a government thought that we needed to turn seawater into drinking water. Are you always having a go at me for getting political? I'm just saying it was. It, it, it's a... Don't think that there's any reason behind it. It's, it's just cyclical or the nature of, you know, a run of reds at roulette. I don't think there's anything to it other than... OK, do you other think... Other than as, will, every game is as it is. Will we emerge from it? Of course we will. We had a round this year. And don't worry, the teams are trying as hard in that round where the first four or five games are all pivotal yeah. games for the season to find def definition of the finals and positions. Yeah. And they all were decided in the last 20 seconds by less than a goal. But you can still have crappy games that are close. No, but these, remember we had that great yeah, round. Yeah, we did. Well, the teams were trying bloody hard then and they're trying bloody hard now and it just yeah. happens Do you agree? Do you being separated by a margin. Do you agree that the 666 thing will have little to zero impact? Zero. Yeah, I'm with you. That is, again, a desalinisation plant. Yeah. As is the 18-metre goal square. And I'm going to keep banging the drum on this one. They could have, I reckon, had a lot more impact uh, with a lot less time and energy and effort expended by getting the umpires to call for ball-ups quicker. Yeah, and I'll tell you, the 666 is basically how they start most ball-ups anyhow. I'll tell you what it is. It's the number of the beast fighting. I've, I've had that song going through. No, 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 no. It's a good song, Iron Maiden. Don't you know that? 666, the number of the beast. Yeah, but it's... Hell and you know, Fire were born to be released. Made famous in the movie The Omen. Oh, Damien. Yeah, because he had 666. Yeah. And lots of music, that, that music is done and Carter does something. Oh, jeez. Not, not... Classical not, music. 
It's something in Carter. Is it? Da, 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 da. Is that no, no, no. It used to be a Nescafe. A Nescafe ad, ad. Yeah, yeah. No, 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 no. Yeah. Yeah. No, I was thinking of six, 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 the number of the beast. Iron Maiden? Well, six, six, I six. I lived alone. My mind was blank. In no. New Zealand, they banned that song. Did they? Six, six, six. Oh, yeah, very good. Let's get on with it. We're talking dribble. Any more? Okay. <laughs> okay, uh, we're not... Yeah, no, we're not angry. We're too, uh, you know, I don't know. We're in an almost celebratory mood. But don't worry, we'll fix that right up. Cause it's time now for your favourite madcap antics of the week. Finey in the rant off! All right, Fonny, you know this time of year, there's sort of great stories all around the place, and Bruce gets even more excited during the call. Jeez, I saw the highlights when I got home on uh, Friday night. I thought he was going to lose his load. Um, I shouldn't probably have said that, but I did. Uh, so I'm going to put an appropriate downer on it all, uh, as I'm accustomed to doing. I want you to count me in. Three, two, Collingwood forever. I'm pissed off with Collingwood, Finey. Who do the Magpies think they are actually having the football world kindly disposed towards them? If it's not enough that they pull the biggest triumph for the underdog a preliminary final scene for 20 years, the Pies have manufactured more feel-good stories than Pixar Studios, and they don't even need the animation. Mason Cox could be playing Woody in Toy Story, you know, slightly geeky, but with all those down-home values of the good old USA. And just to make you like him even more, he also reckons Donald Trump is a loony. There's the great Clubman story with Tyson Golsack, injured and seemingly out of the running, but making a valiant comeback right at the critical moment. There's Chris Mayne, the kid with the funny hair the bullies always pick on, but who through sheer will turns himself into a jock and a hero. And they've even got the tried and trusted tale of redemption in the shape of Jordan Degoe, the bad boy who learns his life lessons the hard way, but who maturity turns into a much-loved figure leading the charge. Seriously, they could call Collingwood the Disney football club these days. And if all that isn't enough, you get the heartwarming, tear-jerking shot of coach Nathan Buckley coming back into the rooms after the win and his little boy jumping into his arms with joy. Come on, guys. It's Collingwood. That shot should have been of Eddie Maguire jumping into Bucks' arms as Joffa was trying to stick his tongue down the coach's throat while all the toothless magpie fans were urinating in empty VB cans and keying everyone's cars outside the ground. There's too many time-honoured football traditions being turned on their head these days, Fonny. Carlton's so bad now, people just feel sorry for them. Everyone jumped on the Richmond bandwagon last year. Now Collingwood are the good guys? Bugger me dumplings, Finey. The world's gone mad. I wouldn't be surprised next Saturday if the pies get up. Instead of good old Collingwood forever over the PA system, we get bloody Kumbaya instead. Are you telling me you like Collingwood? Well, I was infamously uh, pictured in the age back in 2010 wearing a Collingwood jumper, and I'm still... I'm still living that down. I, I don't know what, what's happened for What was worse, that or when you had to sing that Charlene song? I've never been to me. Probably a tie. They, they yeah. both haunt me regularly, I can say that. Uh, you read this one out. Who does the neutral supporter barrack for this weekend? Melbourne Storm? They are great. You barrack for Melbourne Storm, Matt Williams. Barrack for them like everybody should. And actually, that thing I was going to ask you has just come back to me. So thank you, Matt. 
can we please clear up this? Because I had a couple of people from Perth on the line on SE and asking me again. Can we put to bed this nonsense that supporters of Victorian clubs will be getting behind Collingwood this week? <laughs> yeah, ridiculous. Really? If you're going to suggest that, Daniel Andrews, I know you watch this show. If you even think about that, jumping on the old politician, get behind Victoria thing, mate, I'm off you officially. You're an Essendon supporter. You don't do that. I mean, this is crap. This is patent crap, isn't it? No, of course you don't. You know, I was actually talking to a friend of mine. My default system, and when you're a real football supporter, you don't know who you really dislike or like until the game starts. Yeah. So you can say, oh, I want Melbourne to beat West Coast or I'd like to see Melbourne make the grand final. But if you're a true supporter, your inner workings will tell you as the balls are going forward (laughs) at either end who you really want to kick those goals. Do you reckon? Yeah, absolutely. They, you know what? I've, I've been programmed because they were so brilliant when I was growing up and I knew so many Carlton supporters to hate Carlton mm. that even in games when it was clearly beneficial to St Kilda as they were higher on the ladder for Carlton to win, I just couldn't change my inner workings, my DNA, to want them to lose. You know, I just can't... It, it's... And most people are programmed like that against Collingwood. So don't expect people to just get behind the Victorian team. We're not South Australia. We don't support, you know... I went to, I went to an Adelaide game once with a woman in, in her car. And I said, look, you, you're not going to be able to see out the back window. Is this safe to drive in? This was a car, except for the windscreen, on every window there was Adelaide Lightning, Adelaide 36s, <laughs> and, and teams I'd never heard of. Yeah. Adelaide Thundersticks... Adelaide, you know, their ice hockey team, yeah. like it was enough already. Yeah. No, well, it's, uh, my uh, parents are both from Perth. All my relatives came from Western Australia. And in my younger days, I went over there and stayed with my uncle John one day. And, you know, he was on me about you Eastern Staters and you Victorians and you this and you that. And I just stopped him one day and I said, listen, I had to break it to you. You know how you think we spend our lives sort of trying to put you back in your place or whatever? Here's the shocking truth. We don't think about you at all. <laughs> It's, they wouldn't like that. You know what summed up this Adelaide supporter? True story. We were going to the game. It was Adelaide St Kilda. Mm. And there was a car next to us. And on the back of the car, the car had Mel- it had an Adelaide number plate, but Melbourne stickers. Oh, really? Melbourne foot. You know, yeah. And I said, gee, that's pretty uncommon. A Melbourne supporter. And she goes, no, that's Norwood, the Red Leagues. Yeah. I said, no, it's Melbourne. She went down the window and said, dickhead! <laughs> <laughs> he wouldn't have known. He wasn't even going to the footy. It was like in... You know, it was in Elizabeth or something. Yes, and the uh, Red Leagues, of course, in the Sandville Grand Final against North Adelaide uh, tomorrow, uh, if you're watching this now. She actually said, dickhead, get a life. He wouldn't know what was going on. He's picking up his Chinese takeaway. All right, fine. He, uh, I'm going to count you in. You're doing yourself some damage, Eric, and you've split your lip with I have all split your... My lip. Uh, okay, that's good. That hurts. Uh, okay, okay. say a bit of water if I could. Uh, I'll hurry up. I'll uh, just pad until you've... Uh, there's no end of uh, I curry, incident I'd with a, you, is I had a curried goat before we came on. A curried goat, as you do. And it's um, making a comeback. Okay, great. Good thing, mate. All right. Three, two, one. Rant. You're a pitiful disgrace, Connolly. Why? Did you or did you not two minutes ago rant about how difficult it was to hate Collingwood? Yeah. Citing all of these sidebar issues that detract from our DNA, our inner workings that tell us us. That Collingwood is the mortal enemy. Don't you remember? Love them or hate them? There's no middle ground, son. 
No middle ground. And here are reasons why you and every right-thinking human being that doesn't barrack for Collingwood hope that West Coast win. Number one, the gold jacket. Now, I actually know Joffa, and I like him. He's a hard-working, big-hearted social worker with a brain the size of a pea. The man is simply... The man is simply knows what I'm talking about. The man is conditioned, regardless of the fact that he knows that it is an absolute, you know, it, it, it is a standout beacon of arrogance to put that gold lime jacket on when he thinks the game's safe. Mate, when you're 40 points up with two minutes to go, it's hardly a statement. Show some balls, Joffa, and put it, you, you know, you should put it on in the second quarter. That would have been the gold lime jacket making a statement. In 1970. So you know what? I hate the Lame jacket. Eddie Maguire, with his faux... Oh, I'm not winding up. I, got, I hate Collingwood. Eddie Maguire, with his faux... Oh, whoever we play next week will be a great opponent. We've just beaten the very best. Richmond are a great... Shut up, Eddie. You're Collingwood through and through. And you let it ooze out on your radio and TV programs. And it's dislikable. Number three... Collingwood. How can you make a chant more arrogant, more annoying, or more repulsive than that? Peter Hellier. Do I need say more? Bill Shorten. <laughs> Big forehead. No credibility when it comes to football. Collingwood supporter. The tag best team in Australia. Given to Collingwood by who? Collingwood people! The away jumper. They've got a home jumper of black and white stripes. They're away jumpers, white and black stripes. Arrogant bastards. Collingwood sells newspapers. Yeah, so does hysteria about black gangs and ice epidemics and a threat from Northern Korea. In other words, all the great plagues on society sell papers. Big deal. But, Rocco, yes. your greatest failing tonight. What? If Collingwood win the Premiership next week, yes. they join you and Carlton as having won more of the prize cups than anybody else. How can, a, how can an Essendon person even begin to countenance that notion of Collingwood being the greatest of all time? Shame on you, mate. That's a very convincing argument, I've got to say. And particularly that last bit, and which I've got to admit hadn't dawned on me, but now it has. I've just got one response. What? We're the Eagles, we're flying high, good old Bollywood forever. All right, now that was a very good rant. Well yeah, done. You, know well, what, well you know what? what? I reckon they are immensely likeable, as is their bearded coach. Yes, he is. He is. Who, he is. Is, that? who is that bloke? Um, I don't know who he is, but I like him. He's a guy. <laughs> I can't recognise him. Rugged good books. <laughs> uh, we got any more of Mr Music? Are we done? Because we're... Uh, how long have we been going? About an hour and a half? Do we need to give a tip or is that on Thursday? Uh, we'll do that on Thursday. Yeah. Richard again says, to use Bob Murphy's phrase, who will be the gherkin in the teams this week? I, who will miss out? The story no one wants to tell. Gherkin? As in what, you buy a, a Big Mac and you get rid of the... Yeah, okay. I love the gherkin. Yeah, I don't mind it either. Or the pickle. Uh, who will be the unlucky omission? Um, uh, yeah, I'm with you. I reckon Braden Sire for uh, either Reed slash Moore. You're convinced it's Moore. Okay, you've but, not No, no, one. it's not Moore. I'm convinced Moore's no chance. It'll be Reed. 
Another weird season. This, this is Chris, Chris Howard. Howard. So though I think the Eagles should, and I do want them to win, it feels like the Pies will prevail. And if they do, adding to that weird thing, they will have the unheard of record of winning the flag after only beating one other finalist during the home and away season. Good point. Yeah. Um, and, and yet again, another heavy, heavily fancied minor premier fails to win the flag. Yeah, you know, we almost had the incredible situation. Well, not almost, because Melbourne got thrashed. But yeah. after Collingwood won, mm. of two teams that hadn't made the eight being in the grand final. Yeah. Uh, do you know, I, I wrote this down, I think since I two... Since, yeah, apparently. Oh, um, since 1995, I think only five um, top teams have won a flag. Yeah, the curse. Yeah, doesn't, doesn't, you've got to pace yourself, I guess. Yeah, I guess St Kilda's doing it right then, making sure yeah, they don't finish right. on top. Oh, damn, it's been 18 years to my mob now since we won a flag. How many for yours? Oh, uh, 52. Yeah, I know. Uh, any more, Mr Music? No, we don't. We definitely don't want to talk trades. You know why? Because the grand final yeah, is seven grand days final. away. You and know? We're actually living in the here and now. And thumbs up. Look, we should recognise both of these teams ended last year in... I think people thought that they were in, in decline. Not many people had either of them in the eight, and I'd say absolutely no one would have had both of them in the eight. And... I don't agree with the ABC commentary today. As Which the, was? As the sign went, this is the team that many thought would win the wooden spoon. I don't think many thought oh, they were going to... Oh, absolute rubbish. Who said that? Whoever was calling for the ABC. God. I thought, that's a bit dramatic. Yeah, no, that's absolute rubbish. No, they weren't, they weren't spoon material, but you know what? A lot of people had them sliding out of the eight. Yep, well, I certainly was one of them, and I jumped off the pies too. And not for the first time, and probably not the last time this season, finally, we was wrong. And, and I just want to say one more thing. No, no, no. But we're having a chat. People can go and do their own thing now. I mean, no, we're just we're talking. doing this professionally. Come okay. On. How about Chris Mayne? At the end of last season, yeah. Nathan Buck Buckley pro publicly sort of said, yeah, I didn't, I want, didn't him. want him. Yeah. He's not going to be, he'd be on our list, but he's mm. not going to be a player. He can play for the VFL team. I'm telling you, there's great stories everywhere. Goldsack does a knee yeah. in the preseason. Yep. Yeah. Stories left, right, right and, and centre. And grand final week will be for them. So I'll tell you what, you mentioning curry goat, I'm getting a taste for it. I might be off down to the local uh, Cafe Bombay. All right, hope you enjoyed the show. Have a great grand final week. Don't forget the audio podcast Thursday. And uh, finally, that's a wrap. Can you know who's? <laughs>